Well, uh, one way in which the church uh, throughout the years has taught doctrine to its people is uh, through catechisms. And one catechism asks this question. What is your only comfort in life and death? And the response to this particular catechism is this. That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. He has paid fully for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now to live for him. Now, I love this uh, question and answer that's in the Heidelberg uh, Catechism. It's designed to bring hope to... uh, of, a, of eternal security to believers who are in despair. To make them confident that Jesus has them safe in his arms. Not only in life, but even when they die. Jesus' arms hold us secure and safe for heaven. Now that's something that uh, we might know in our heads, but it, does it really capture our hearts we can really have confidence in death. And this is something that uh, the believers in the, in the, that he's writing to here in the book of Thessalonians needed to be reminded of. We have uh, three points today, um, or this evening. Uh, chapter 4, verses 13 to 15, we, Paul takes them, back, he takes them back to basics. Secondly, verses 4, 16 to 18, he points them to a sequence of events they can expect. And lastly, chapter 5, 1 to 11, he gives them instructions on on how to live. So let's read these verses again. Um, Chapter 4, verses uh, 13 to 15. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. It seems as though uh, hopelessness is the... uh, tragic thing that many people today struggle with, especially when faced with death. And unfortunately, this uh, can be a problem for believers too. It's certainly a problem for the believers here and that Paul Paul is writing to. But the good news of the gospel is that we don't need to despair. We can have hope in life And in death. Um, Paul's friend Timothy, he'd been to visit uh, the churches here and he brings back positive reports. But they need some clarification over certain issues. 
And the first one we see here is that they needed clarification over what happens when a Christian dies. Back in Acts 17, uh, Paul had taken the gospel to the city. A number of people were, um, believed in Jesus and as a result were saved and brought into the kingdom. Uh, and Paul must have also told them about the second coming of the Lord because they, they're, they're waiting for it. They're excited for it. And they are living their lives in light of this expectation. But there are reports that have reached Paul that, uh, that are concerning him. The, church, the, the people in, in these churches are expecting that Jesus will definitely return in their lifetimes. And as a result, when a number of believers had died, they became deeply distressed and discouraged. Why? Well, we don't exactly know. Was it that they believed um, salvation depended on being alive at the time of Jesus' return? Uh, possibly. Was it that they simply believed that those who had died before Jesus would come back would somehow miss out on the glory of that day? Again, uh, possibly. But Paul here is writing to them to correct their thinking on this matter. Uh, he tells them, verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as, as others do who have no hope. He doesn't want them to grieve like the rest of men. And he tells them that, that for a Christian, death is simply like falling asleep. One of the, uh, another, another catechism that we have is the Westminster Confession of Faith, and it states this. That for the wicked person, the grave is a prison. But for the believer, the grave is a bed. And you'll notice that Paul, three times in these opening verses, repeats this idea of sleep. It's there for us in verse 13. We do a brother um, midway through about those who are asleep. Verse 14, right at the end, he mentions sleep again and 15 at the end he mentions sleep again he wants to make them see that death for the christian is not a means for despair if you're asleep you're going to, you're going to be woken up again and so christians have no need to mourn like the rest of the world when someone dies now that doesn't mean we aren't to mourn at all no that that's good that that's healthy Death is horrible. Death is unnatural. Death is an invasion into God's good world. He, God created the world good. He didn't create us to die, but when we fell into sin, death invaded. And so death is simply an invasion into God's good creation. But nevertheless, for a Christian, there is hope in death. And he shows them in verses 14 to 15 that this isn't just wishful thinking. No, for the Christian, there are two fundamental historical realities that prove that there is hope in death. And if any of these two were ever to be disproved, the Christian faith would completely collapse. What are they? Well, verse 14, 
We believe Jesus died. That's the first fundamental fact. We believe Jesus has died. He died on a cross to take away our sin, to bear our penalty and mend our broken friendship with God. But fundamental fact number two, and um, probably uh, more important because it is this fact that proves to us who Jesus was, Jesus was risen again. Jesus died, but he rose again. And because of that, if we are united to Christ in faith, if we are trusting him to be our saviour, the, the forgiver of our sins, we share in his resurrection. Death is defeated. The day Jesus rose again, death met its match. Death, because Jesus has risen again, is defeated. And that, that is true for all who are trusting in him. Death loses its sting. But for those who are not bound to him, death, death is terrible. Death is filled with hopelessness. And I've seen this for myself uh, over the last few weeks. Two, uh, two members of, well, more than two members of uh, the church in Monmouth have, have passed away, both believers and both funerals were attended by their friends and family. And I was, I was um, helping out at the front from one of them. And this individual's family weren't believers. And no matter what you said to them, that, that could not comfort them. For them, death was hopeless. Whereas for some of the other people who've died, who have believing families... The moment you start mentioning that they are now safe with the Lord, even though they are hurting and mourning, a smile still comes on their face because they know that we don't need to, to mourn like the rest of the world. And, and friends, if you, if you are here tonight and, and the idea of death drives fear into you, if you are not united to Jesus... I want, to, I want you to see that there is hope because of him. I have no other hope to offer you besides the fact that Jesus has died and has risen again and has defeated death for you. All you need to do is come to him by faith and this hope can be yours too. And so verse 15, Paul reiterates the point again. Any, any fear or sadness over death that the Thessalonians might have is completely and utterly ungrounded. Don't despair. You could be confident that when a believer dies, they are safe with Jesus. They are not at a disadvantage, as the Thessalonians thought. But verses, uh, we now move on to verses for um, chapter 4, verses uh, 16 to 18. Uh, Paul explains to them now a sequence of events that they, can, um, that they can expect. And he goes deeper into the point here. Um, these, these are events that will happen when Jesus returns. And the first thing we, he mentions is that Jesus will return. Okay, that, that's there in verse uh, 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Jesus himself will return physically, in, bodily, in body, not in a strange, 
mystical way, he will return physically. Uh, when Jesus ascended to heaven, the angels told the disciples, this is Acts 1.11, Why do you stand looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The second thing we see here in these verses is that the dead will rise. Jesus returns, the dead will rise. So there's not, some, not only something that's um, visible here, there's something that's audible. There's a loud command. I'm assuming something like rise or, or behold. Now I don't uh, know how well you sleep. I'm quite a light sleeper and uh, I'm woken up by, by anything. Uh, maybe you're a heavy sleeper and, I don't know, um, it, it, you know, it takes, I, I don't know, a, a marching band or a thunderstorm to wake you. Here we see that this command will be so loud, the voice will be so mighty that even the dead will rise. That the, the souls of the dead will be reunited with their body. They will, be, they will rise first. Verse 16. They will rise first. So they're not at a disadvantage at all. No, they, it seems as though they will get there. They will get to meet Jesus before us who are still alive. And then verse 17. We read this. Then, this is us now. If, should we still be alive at this time? Uh, then we who are, who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So that's the third thing we see here. We will now go and we will meet Jesus. So not only are those who have died are brought to Jesus, but we who are left are brought to him too. We are raptured into the air with him. To do what? Well, um, the language Paul uses seems to, seems to suggest to accompany him back down. It's the language of... Um, of like people going out to meet an important a person on, on their way back to the, town, on, to the city, like a delegate, it's like Roman language. So we will, we will meet Jesus in the air and accompany him on his way back down to the earth. This is wonderful. All believers from all time will meet each other together with the Lord. The people read the Old Testament saints, they will be there. New Testament believers, they will be there. Uh, people that we have known and loved and have missed terribly, who have loved Jesus too, they will be there. We will be reunited. As one commentator says, the whole family reunited once more. But that is not the, that's not even the, the best part of it. Look at verse 18. Or rather, look at the end of verse 17. We will be always with the Lord. We will be always with the Lord. That's the really exciting bit of the, this, isn't it? That we will see our Savior. We will behold the very one who has done away with our sins. We will behold the one in whom we are eternally secure. And this isn't just a, a passing brief glimpse of him no we will be physically with him for all eternity 
we will take our side uh, place in the new heavens and the new earth that he has created for those he has saved never to taste pain or death or sadness or sickness ever again that will be our reality here what a day of rejoicing that will be for us for all those who trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins don't grieve hopelessly over death Jesus is coming back and he's coming back for us all and the third thing we see here uh, chapter 5 verses 1 to 11 Paul now gives them instructions on how to live in light of Jesus' return. So we aren't to grieve because Jesus has resurrected, guaranteeing our resurrection. He's coming back and is preparing a place for us in heaven. But how do we live? You see, as well as um, hopelessly grieving over death, it seems as though the uh, Thessalonians had also become obsessed with um, trying to predict when exactly Jesus would return. And in actual fact, to you flick over to 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1, 1 to 2, you'll see that Paul has to write them again about these things. He says in 2 Thessalonians 2, Now concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. So by the time he writes Second Thessalonians, they believed Jesus had already returned, and they were looking for him. And the thing is, this can be dangerous. We aren't to... We aren't to start predicting the times or the seasons. Uh, uh, many people have tried to do this. Many, many pastors and, and theologians and groups have tried to do this. And so far, they have been very wrong. You see, deadlines are important, aren't they? Whether it's taking your car to the garage for an MOT. Um, we, we need to know deadlines but we aren't given a deadline for when Jesus is returning we just know it's at some point in the future so what are we to do and Jesus himself told his disciples not to concern themselves with these things and Paul is telling the Thessalonians the exact same thing look at what he tells them verses 1 to 2 concerning the times and the season brothers you have no need to have anything written for you. For you yourselves are fully aware the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So why aren't we to concern ourselves? Because the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. This is a throwback to Jesus' teachings in Matthew 24, where he says, understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house being broken into. I'm not sure if you've seen those kind of uh, horrific uh, uh, crime watch reenactments where they, they, there's a couple lying in bed and then there's a breaking and there's this mass panic. That's the sort of imagery we have here. It's frightening imagery. It'll be a, the day of the Lord will be a normal day for us. People, we read in verse 3, will be saying... Uh, 
peace and security. That's kind of like the Roman propaganda that was going around the uh, empire at the time. All is well under the emperor. We have nothing to fear. And people deceived by their own uh, sense of false security will be horrified when they hear the voice of the archangel. They hear the blast of the trumpet. They look up and Jesus descends from heaven. It'll be a normal day. Um, birds will be singing. You'll be getting on with your work and you'll be rudely interrupted by this. And Jesus likens it to the days of Noah. People were eating. People were drinking. People were getting, getting married and then, and then the flood came. This is how it will be. Two men working in a field. One will be taken, the other left, we read. Two women working at a handmill. One will be taken, the other left, we read. In verse 3, all of a sudden, destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman. This is how it will be for all those who are living in darkness. It will come as a horrible shock because they will look up and they will see the very Jesus that they had stubbornly refused their whole lives. And, and they will not be able to utter anything in their defense. They'll, nothing they'll say will, could change God's mind about their eternal destination. And that's why it is so important that we are equipped to take the gospel out to, to our friends, to our family, to our neighbors, to our work colleagues, to give them a chance to respond and give them a chance to find refuge, as we saw this morning, in God's King, Jesus. But verses 4 to 6, Paul is not warning the Thessalonians about the coming judgment because he tells them that you, you are not living in darkness. You are children of the, of the light, children of the day. And so you should not be surprised when Jesus comes back, if he does indeed come back during their lifetime. And neither should we who are trusting in him. Paul's, Paul's instructions here are simply, be prepared, be ready. Not by trying to work out a, spe a specific time or date, not by like building underground bunkers and stocking up on weapons and tin food anticipating the return of Jesus. No, simply by obeying, serving, keeping watch, sharing the gospel and ensuring that you are right with him to make sure that you are united to him by faith to make sure that you are trusting in him and him alone for the forgiveness of your sins. The Thessalonians, verse 6, not like those who are asleep. The, the one, the people, those who are asleep here are those who are, who are dead to Christ as opposed to in Christ, those who are spiritually dead. We're not like them. We are awake, and so we live accordingly. We live as though we live self-controlled lives. We are alert. Supposedly, there is an ancient Welsh city in the Irish Sea, the Cardigan Bay, just to the um, west? Yeah, just to the west of Aberystwyth, called Cantre Gwaelod. Um, the city was apparently uh, 
below sea level and uh, every night they'd have to shut the gates to avoid the city, to stop the city being engulfed by the sea. And uh, there's a, ch a chap called Seythenin who was a, uh, in charge of making sure the city was safe at night time. One night he got drunk and fell asleep. And as a result, he forgot to close the gates. And in moments, the entire city was engulfed by the sea, never to be seen again. And supposedly, if you, on a quiet day, stand on the prom in Aberystwyth and listen carefully, you can still hear the bells ringing, as I said, supposedly. Let us not be like Sathenin. Let us not be asleep. Let us not be drunk. Let us be alert. Let us be sober. How? Well, verse 8, by being self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, the hope of salvation as a helmet. And we are to do these things because Paul tells them we have not been appointed to suffer wrath. No, we have been appointed to, we have been appointed to receive salvation through Christ. We are to live in him, live confidently that when he returns, he will indeed take us to be with him to the new, in the new heavens and the new earth. The future, you see, cannot be brighter for the believer whose hope is in Christ. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. So Christians, we aren't to grieve hopelessly over death because Jesus has guaranteed our resurrection through his resurrection. He's promised that he is coming back. And in the meantime, we live lives in the light, anticipating his return. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ.